All right, it is the first Sunday of the month, uh, which means it's time to hear from you. And this month it is Josh and Mandy Warren. So y'all can come on up. Y'all be ready to uh, pepper Josh with your difficult, unanswerable questions. Um, A little bit about Josh and Mandy as they get seated. They've been married for 12 years. Uh, Josh teaches 7th grade Bible at Briarcrest. Mandy is the product manager at Harmonix, which is a company that does genetic testing. Um, She wanted to say, I just do marketing there. But uh, anyway, it sounds very important. And I'll let you hear the the rest from them. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Um, I am the oldest of five. Uh, you may know my dumber, uglier brother, Trey. He's helping with junior high, probably, right now. Uh, but also much wealthier than I am. But unfortunately, it doesn't work out. Uh, I have uh, three sisters. One lives in Africa and then some twins. Uh, we Some twins. <laughs> nobody. You, you, you might know. Uh, nobody cares about them. They, uh, we, <clears throat> I grew up um, in like a Navy household. My dad was in the Navy for the first 10 years of my life, so we moved around a lot, and then eventually got to Memphis when I was in third or fourth grade. Um, so you're the oldest of five, and dad's in the Navy. You moved to Memphis age 11. Where? So what about growing up in the church, or yeah, where did you live? We, um, we, I've, all, I've been raised in church. We, uh, we're Southern Baptist. We're, I grew up Southern Baptist, so... Um, Just curious, how many of you grew up Southern Baptist? So, the Christians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the vast majority. The rest of you were praying for. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we're all backslidden because we're not in one right now. That's right. But we'll get back one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we grew up a church um, in glory, where everyone will be Southern Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Heaven. <laughs> the SBC in the sky. Uh, but the. We, uh, yeah, I went to church uh, kind of my whole life, and that was kind of an expectation. And, um, we went to Hickory Ridge Baptist when we moved here. Uh, the tombs, I don't know if Jeremy's here. Like, the tombs were there, the hedge fest were there, a lot of people um, from even here were there. Um, and then went to First Baptist Carville Middle and High School. So, so you were you went to Carville Middle, Carville High. Mm-hmm. Was there like yeah. a moment you remember becoming a Christian for a Baptist? You have to have a moment. Of course, yeah. of course, I remember. Your second birthday, right? Yeah, I don't remember the I don't remember the day uh, which caused me to go up front later when I was in high school when somebody said if you can't remember the day that you the date that you were saved then that's the most important day of your life so you need to come up front. It's like. Dang it. Yeah. So I went up front. The guy's, the guy's like, what? <laughs> you could go. Yeah. So it's very, the most helpful counseling I've gotten. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, I remember I was five, and I think that's when I knew that, or the pastor told us, you need, there needs to be a moment where you surrender your life to Christ. And it's like, well, I haven't had that moment. So I did that kind of on my own um, when I was five, and then, Walked up front and did the baptism thing in super cold water. Yeah, and um, yeah, and there have been kind of changes, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of moment, I guess, that I've got gotcha. you. 
Yeah, you know, we laugh, and um, not everyone can point to a day. I think we can all point to monumental moments, though. We can all point to particular periods or certain days where things clicked or more registered with us at that time than others. And um, anyway, Mandy, how about you? Tell us about your life growing up, kind of through high school. January 11th, 1987. That's my date. Written, I think it's probably on like some kind of embroidered thing in my room when I was little. Um, But no, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church also and grew up mostly in Memphis. We moved here when I was a little younger. My my family's all from here, but we moved around a little bit from Louisiana to Memphis and um, got saved when I was six or seven years old. And my, uh, my dad was actually a pastor. Um, pastor or bivocational pastor all through um, growing up. Went to Bartlett, um, always was leader in the youth group, had great experiences in high school, really didn't have any major struggles or anything. Um, went off to college and wanted to go as far away as I could, so my parents let me go to a little Baptist college in California because that was the only way they would mm-hmm. agree to let me go that far. <laughs> Cal Baptist? Um, <laughs> so weird. You went there. Anyway. <laughs> That's where Brandon and Bess met, if you don't know that. Um, so Did y'all know each other before? No. No. Yeah. I'm a lot older. Naturally, ended up back. <laughs> 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 yeah. Two years. Um, so, anyway, I had, a, I had a great experience, really. And, I mean, I think I may have had my little, if you want to call it a rebellious few months of college, but otherwise <laughs> it was pretty pretty tame. So, um, But, yeah, that was all the way up through uh, my when I got out to California. Gotcha. So uh, we'll get back to this. A lot happened in your sophomore year um, in college. We're going to get back to that. But uh, you came back to Memphis and you met Josh. So tell us about how uh, y'all met and how your relationship progressed. Sure. Um, we are, I moved back the summer after my sophomore year. I actually came home just for a visit that summer. And um, a lot of things were going on with my family, um, and that kind of prompted me to stay in Memphis. And it was kind of a very quick, I had a bunch of different things lined up in, in California at the school where I was, so it was really kind of scary to think I'm leaving all of these opportunities, but I felt really strongly that God was pulling me back here. Um, so I went to a, um, I was dating a guy at the time, which is one of the things that God kind of used, I think, to make me want to stay here. And He was um, here. He was here. And I was just looking at what am I going to do? Am I going to transfer to University of Memphis? I didn't really want to go to a large school. So I heard about Crichton College, which is a small Christian school that <laughs> no longer exists <laughs> in Memphis. <laughs> and um, anyway, and so through the guy I was dating, found out about a music program. Um, he had a mutual friend that was going to Crichton, and she actually sang in a group there and was like, hey, if you audition, you could get scholarship. I was a music major, so that was really appealing to me. So auditioned, got in, transferred all very quickly, and showed up the first day of rehearsal. And the only person I know is this girl. And um, I meet her, and then I meet her boyfriend, Josh Warren. (laughs) 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 And then (laughs) they didn't last very much longer. Um, She still hasn't spoken to us to this day, (laughs) actually. Can you blame her? I didn't break them up. I didn't break them up. But anyway, we started dating in about January, and then we were engaged by November, married the next July. This is pretty quick. Okay, I'm also just curious, how many of you got to know each other by dating one another's friend or something like that? Uh, okay, that's the way we go. Anyway, everybody does something. Yeah, I get you, man. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so, 
you met in the fall, you're dating in January, engaged November, married the next year. It was all very quick. Yeah. Uh, Josh, what was your first year of marriage like? Uh, it was rough. Um, <clears throat> I was I was 21 when we got married, um, and I'm not like I wasn't the mature wise person that I am now That's right. um, so I was I mean I was pretty much a disaster and but she was still in school and I was working late and she was um, she would go to bed at like 8.30 or 9 and I would get off work at 7.30 and it was it was rough yeah and so just schedule things and personality things um, you know, I'm like, oh, you're this person. I thought you were this other person. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was rough. It was, it was a really rough year. Yeah. Um, I, sure. uh, the illustration that's been most helpful to me is when you date someone, you start by giving them your best 10%, right? And then as you move along in dating and, and then you get engaged, maybe you drop that line and you give them, at some point you're even giving them your top 50%, you know? And you get down into that like 50% area, you're kind of like, Oh, I, well, I didn't think, you know, I didn't see that earlier. But, I mean, you don't ever see the bottom 50 until you get married, yeah. you know? And then you get married and you're like, holy smokes, you know? This Stuck is out. different than I thought. Sign the uh, anyway, for those of you that are thinking about getting married, just so you know. Uh, so, but your schedules were not the only things going on. Uh, Mandy, after hearing this, I don't know how else to put it except that there were very terrible things going on in your family, and uh, do you mind telling us about that? Oh, sure. Um, well, one of the reasons that I came home my sophomore year was because my dad was sick. Um, my dad was diagnosed bipolar when I was, I think I was pretty young, but it really didn't mean anything as I was growing up. I mean, I would see occasional mood swings or, you know, daddy's sad and needs to go to sleep or something, and that was about the extent of anything that I saw. Um, I think I was shielded from a lot of it at the time, which I didn't know. Um, but uh, our first year of marriage, my mom um, sat me down and told me that she and my dad were separating because um, some things had happened, really significant things had happened. Um, and he had really, it kind of came to light that I was almost borderline like a double life um, that he had been living and just a lot of illegal things. He had been arrested, embezzled money, had affairs um, throughout all the years that I didn't know about times where my mom had a second job that I had no idea because my dad couldn't work because he had gotten fired. Um, all the while, in between, he would be leading and serving in churches, which is very confusing and hard to understand um, still to this day. So going through that, my first year of marriage was, I mean, it really rocked my world. I mean, that was the first time I'd ever um, had any kind of experience like that. And then obviously Josh and I being newlyweds and already struggling, um, it made for a challenging time. But I think that having to rely on him, I mean, he was my new family. And so I think that that was really significant just in the foundation of our marriage and relationship to, um, if I hadn't been married that year and hadn't had him, I don't know how I would have gotten through that. I think it would have looked very differently. Mm. Uh, Josh, anything you want to add to that? There were things other than schedule problems going on. I mean, what was it like for you going through <coughs> that with her? Uh, I don't know. I was just helpless. I didn't know. I'm not... <laughs> the only thing I contribute is like I'm not kind of up and down. I'm just <laughs> all the time. You're consistent. Yeah, I'm consistently boring. <laughs> so, which was she needed. So yeah. I brought that to the table, which was I think good. But it was I mean oh, I don't I don't know what to say yeah. you know to say in that situation or help. Yeah. 
Um, gosh, you know, while the details of their story are unique to them, I think we can all identify to one degree or another. Um, I bet they're not the only ones that didn't have a honeymoon phase. You know, we didn't. I think our hardest year of marriage in many ways was the first year. And I know the Lukes and the Warrens aren't uh, the only ones who've had difficult seasons in marriage. And we laugh about it, not to, uh, you know, uh, put down the institution of marriage, but it is the most complex of all human relationships. And I also think it has the potential to be the most profound and the most enjoyable, uh, the deepest and the richest. But you never get to the good places that you desire to go without going through the hard seasons. And uh, some of you are in the middle of a hard stretch in your marriage now. Uh, One thing you need to know is that you're not alone. You know. Um, But also, even though you may not be able to see what right now, uh, we just cling to the hope that God is up to something that is ultimately good. And uh, uh, Now, you guys had, had planned to go to seminary at the very beginning of your marriage for these reasons. You decided to postpone. Um, but three years into marriage, you go to Boston for seminary. So, Josh, why seminary? What, did, you, did you know what you wanted to do with that, or was it just kind of a... When I was in fourth grade, I, made, I went up front answered the call to the ministry, full-time Christian ministry. Oh, yeah? Uh, you know, fourth grade, I think, is the best time to make those yeah, decisions. Yeah, I, I agree. Everybody's like, yeah! That makes sense. It makes what perfect about? sense. You're 10, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so I just knew, I just had in my head that I was going to do something. And I didn't know what it changed. It went from, like, briefly pastor, but that was briefly, to, like, youth minister, to because I don't want to, like, I just want to play games all the time. Yeah. That's what they do, I think. That's all. Uh, and then, like, even music minister or whatever. But I just was planning on, I was like, I just want to keep continuing this on and go to seminary. And so mm-hmm. that was always, that was just always there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think by the time we got married, I was looking at <clears throat> going for academic reasons more than full-time Christian I told him I wouldn't marry him if he was going to be a pastor. <laughs> that helped with the decision, too. <laughs> so, I don't know why she said that. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. I didn't find out I was going to be a pastor until after we got married. So that's, that's a fun surprise, that, too. Yeah, that's how that works. Um, Manny, you said seminary was a good turning point in your in your life together, your marriage. How how so? Yeah, um, like you said, we, we delayed it for a few years, and... Um, and that was hard. And I didn't mention earlier, I mean, there are people in this room who walked th- with us through that difficult season, and I'm so grateful for that. We were, you know, at Grace um, back then, right when we first got married. So um, we sought counsel from, from Jimmy and a few others just about what to do because he felt this call and wanted to go to seminary and then, you know, but the stuff going on with my family. So um, finally when we felt like my family was at a place, and my mom especially was in a place where um, we, we were okay to leave, we chose to go to Boston um, Gordon Conwell, and it was, I mean, it was just a breath of fresh air because getting away from just the weight of all of that, and I felt guilty in a way just like leaving that behind, but I knew that we needed to do that. And so for us to be able to get away, um, for anybody who's ever moved away from your family, even for a short period of time, 
it's just such a, a great strength. It just grows a lot, grows you a lot in your marriage to rely on each other and not have your friends and your family in your comfortable situation. Um, so that was really, really good for us. And then we also had this great community. It's kind of instant community. Um, it's it's like college, but for married couples. And we lived on campus, and it was just a great um, environment. And I made lots of friends, and we were. I felt like we were really part of something, and it was just a, a few years of just kind of being able to relax and do whatever we wanted on the weekends and not being full, pulled between family and different things going on. So um, that was definitely kind of a, a turning point and a high point for us. Did you ever go to Fenway Park? Yeah, yeah. a lot. It doesn't hurt to be able to go to Fenway Park Oh, it was on the most, It was my favorite place we've ever lived. That's yeah, why we didn't ever cool. want to come back. So three <laughs> Yeah, we're getting there. Don't get it. <laughs> So three years in Boston, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. and then you moved to D.C. because Josh uh, was pursuing a Ph.D. Uh, Mandy, you described that as the dark period. <laughs> so why is that? It was just so bad. It was. Uh, we he got accepted to a couple of schools, one overseas in Edinburgh, and as much, as appealing as that was, we just didn't know if we could just drop everything and go. So it was like, all right, D.C. is a little more manageable. We had some friends within a couple of hours. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a job there um, and loved my job. It was a great job. Um, But just everything from the commute time to our schedules. He was working at Starbucks and taking classes. Hardly ever saw him. Um, Those weren't easy classes. No. He was in classes with like nuns and monks and priests. The only non-Catholic. It's the Catholic University of America. So... Like cool collar, bro. <laughs> it was I did not fit in, and it was like I was like, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking. Why is everybody speaking Latin? Yeah. <laughs> it was just hard. We had no community. We had no friends. We didn't find a good church. Um, coming off of the high from seminary to that, it just was really, really dark. And about midway through the year, we're like, we can't do this. Yeah. So it wasn't going well. Uh, Josh, you decided to stop pursuing the PhD, start applying for jobs, and y'all will go anywhere at this point except Memphis. Yeah. Um, But you ended up in Memphis. So, Josh, tell us how that came about. I I applied to, I don't know, 60 schools maybe, just private schools all throughout the country. Uh, I did actually apply to, like, ECS and Briarcrest. And um, and I had masters, which they have to pay me for, and I had no teaching experience, and so I was like a liability. So they're like nobody's even going to look at me. Um, And so then, so I just applied and kept applying, and then um, I got a call from Landon, who said that the middle school Briarcrest is looking for somebody who's talking to Sharon Watson, who goes here, Um, principal at the middle school at the middle school, and. he was one of my refer- my ministerial reference, because <laughs> uh, you have to have the, their Christian schools are so weird. Anyway, so he was my ministerial reference because we were in DC and there it was rough. Uh, we didn't have a really good church home, and um, and so he's like, you know, I gave her your number. Could she call you? And I said, yeah. And so we talked on the phone, and she's like, hey, let's do a Skype interview tomorrow. So I did a Skype interview with her and the president, and um, it went really well. It was really short; it was like ten minutes. And then uh, they called me later that afternoon and offered me the job. And this was in like, mid-August. 
Like school was starting, I think the next day. Yeah. And um, so they really needed anybody. They're like, they're like, can you fly here? I was like, are you going to fly me there for an interview? They're like, no. <laughs> like, well, I'm not flying there. So um, anyway, so yeah, I put in my two weeks notice at Starbucks, which was one of the easier decisions I've ever made. And, uh, and so we headed headed back here. Manny, you talk about the Lord preparing you through all that. I mean, so how did your mind change about Memphis? <laughs> it was hard. I mean, it was applying for jobs. I mean, that was about six, seven months of that, of just constant rejection, not knowing what to do, being unhappy where we were. And, I mean, I literally just kept praying and praying, like, Lord, prepare us for what's next. I don't know what it is. And at a certain point, it was like, prepare me for being here. I mean, if we're supposed to stay here and endure this. Um, and so when... When that opportunity came up, I mean, I think I laughed. I mean, it was just like, seriously? Like, really? Of all the places. But I think that we had to be at that point of just miserable and did not want to stay there. <laughs> in order... Desperate. In order, no, in order for Memphis to seem appealing because it just wasn't. And a lot of that, it's not Memphis as much as it is my family. Yeah, the, there was a lot. There was a lot of stuff when we come back that um, just was more difficult being here so I think that we definitely had to be led to that point for it and then once we came back I mean it was definitely yeah. a good thing so. you know yeah. we laugh you had very good reason not to desire to, <laughs> to come back um, well what is it like teaching Bible at Briarcrest uh, it's good um, the kids are super mature and not very intelligent uh, <laughs> it's just because they're kids um, and but the principal administration are really supportive they let me do whatever I want which is you Perfect seem like you fit perfectly in middle school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, what are we going to do? I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about this thing. They're like, all right, whatever. <laughs> okay. So um, they act like I'm an adult leader, and I fake it, and it's perfect. Um, and, uh, but they've got, Brockers has their own challenges and stuff, and I think that um, I think that I can, I, I think I see a lot of the challenges, and I'm trying to help uh, fix things or whatever or confront those challenges and I think hopefully I'm good with that or at it when we were talking earlier this week you said they have their own challenges and frustrations but challenges that I think I can help answer Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that response you know it's challenging to go anywhere new everywhere has its own challenges and frustrations but at some point you have to be you have to make the decision, am I going to be a blessing to this place? God has brought me here with my own unique convictions and passions to, to be a blessing and help answer the challenges. Um, Grace of Anne has its own challenges. That can drive you crazy, or you can see it as an opportunity to serve. Wherever you are, at work, at home, I mean, it's just a good answer. Challenges that I think I can help answer. And uh, Okay, Mandy, you have a job you love, but that's not been an easy journey either so um particularly the last year you said it's been a big struggle so what tell us about that well it all started in kroger when i ran into chris in the dairy aisle and just started crying um, poor chris oh. caught me in the midst of that last year i did not know <laughs> I think the most awkward exchange ever i apologize uh, like hey how's it going <laughs> just picking up some milk um, no, I, um, I've, I've been really blessed, honestly, very fortunate to, I mean, I've had to change jobs quite a few times following this guy around. Um, and when we came back to Memphis, I st- thought I was going to go back to teaching. That's actually my background. Um, and 
just other things happened and ended up in a marketing role at a software company. Um, so I was in marketing and sales for a few years and enjoyed my job, but around the end of 2013, beginning of last year, just started feeling a pull towards something else and thought maybe it would be teaching. And so I had this huge transition where I thought I was, I had a huge decision to make and have never wrestled with something so much, whether or not I should do it. Um, and just, it was really painful. So making that decision and then trying something and then I don't know that I failed at it, but it felt like a failure because it was so hard and so overwhelming and stressful. And then quitting that, which I never quit anything. And then being unemployed and looking again, it was just a year of a lot of um, just emotional challenges, a lot of anxiety. Um, and it was, it was really, really trying. And um, somehow, by the grace of God, I mean, I was able to land in a job that's even better than anything I could have imagined. Jessica Anderson gets a little... Well, props for that, for helping lead me. But no, a lot of people in this room definitely carried me through last year, but also in just finding that. Um, but that was that was a very, very difficult time for me personally because it just forced reliance on the Lord in a way that I hadn't had to in a long time, probably since some of the challenges that you know we had earlier in our marriage. She said something earlier when we talked this week about facing insecurities that I had never faced, uh, facing fears and anxieties that I had never faced. But... Then you said learning to listen and trust God and make a decision. And trust. I mean, trust does not get established unless it's needed, you know, (laughs) unless those insecurities and those fears and anxieties are present. I mean, if we're good at making this transition, then we kind of can do it. Um, But God grows us through difficulty. And I don't, in the middle of it, we don't think, ah, God is having me see these insecurities and these fears and anxieties because he's strengthening me. But, you know, it's just encouraging to see that through. Um, so you guys led the college ministry here for uh, the last four years. How did that come about? It's me. Um, we, we came back to Grace, and um, we, uh, this was always kind of our home church, even though we were gone for like four years. And, uh, and it was, we came back and we knew, you know, the old school couples, people from Covenant Keepers back in the day. But um, coming back, there were like all these new people, you guys. And, <laughs> and we just, um, I guess we felt like we, everybody was different. Everybody had kids or more kids. We didn't have any kids still. Um, we're still super immature, <laughs> you know, hanging out with 12 year olds. And um, she's her. Uh, she's hanging out with an adult 12-year-old. And, and so um, it, was, it was just hard. Uh, and so we were trying to figure out if this is still the place that we should be. Um, and we were friends with the Savelles, and I talked to Will. And we were just talking about ministries and that kind of thing. And I, I didn't want to help out junior high because I was doing that You were all doing day, that before? Every day, before, yeah. yeah. I was helping out with junior high before. Um, and so I... I didn't really want to do that, um, but just kind of looking and just talking about stuff. And he said, well, Jonathan Todd is doing college, but he's doing missions thing, and it's really taking up all of his time, so he's going to stop doing college. And so I was like, oh, well, we'll just we'll do that if they want. He's like, yeah, because I had wanted to teach college. Like, that's why I was trying to get a Ph.D., um, well, and it was kind of it was kind of neat because we had done junior high before we left to go to seminary, and so we were gone four years. So the kids that we had in junior high were actually now in college. So we had kind of an instant group, and we had stayed in touch with a lot of them and knew a lot of them. And so just even kind of floating the idea with them, they were all like, "That would be so cool!" Because there's nowhere for me to go. Uh-huh. 
so relationally it worked out as well and so we were just like yeah here you go do whatever you want yeah. you get to have some more intelligent discussion <laughs> right I can college I, don't, like, yeah. I can like I don't have to think about like simple words like I do with you know Sam and just having those kinds of different kinds of discussions so it's nice um, how has that grown you serving in the college ministry over the last four years um, it's a good feeling yeah. stumping Josh you know? <laughs> I'll tell you how it's grown him um, no, I can say at least for me and for us too I mean I think that we talk a lot a bit a lot about finding a place like a place like Grace where you know there might be people like even in this class like who are single or like us don't have kids everyone else has kids and you can complain all day about there's no one else like me or I don't have a place to fit but I think that serving just really kind of surpasses that and I think that having the opportunity to serve in a church um, in any capacity whether you know depending on which life you're staged that's just a very unifying element and so I think for us that was something that connected us to grace and made all those other pieces not really matter Um, and so for me having the opportunity to continue something I love and really the relational ministry with girls um, it just it, it's grown me significantly and helped me see things that I needed to work on and then made me realize I actually have something to offer um, to these girls who are in just a life stage kind of before me. So, You know, uh, I was a part of a really small church down on the coast, and small churches don't have the luxury that large churches do. And so our pastor would often say, when you have that feeling like the church should be doing mm then he's asking you to do that. You know, it's like, we're, and I just, I love the example of we see a need, we're going to serve the need. You know, uh, and I think that's just a good rule of thumb. If there's something that keeps coming up and maybe it's even irking you because the church just, you know, isn't very good at meeting that need, perhaps he's prodding you to uh, answer that need. And I just, I think that's a good example. Um, do y'all have any questions for the Warrens? I've exhausted my questions. Or any thoughts that were spurred by their enlightening thoughts? Sorry if it was too inspirational. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, they're in awe. Yeah. Uh, how about a hand? Y'all don't have to leave, but how about a hand? Uh, parting shots from me. I love hearing y'all's stories. Uh, it's just a great encouragement. Of course, it helps me to get in, to know you better. I, I now know the Warrens better. Just talking this week through these things. But it also helps us get to know God better uh, because he's the author of each and every one of our stories. There's great diversity in in our lives, and yet there are these themes that are running throughout uh, each and every one. And so one of the things that I try to do is I try to locate what some of those themes are that, that crop up. Um, and, you know, what biblical themes can we identify in what we just heard? And uh, something that I was thinking about as I heard them talk is there is always a death before resurrection uh, or to say it more positively um, after the darkness comes the light and it's just the way that God has designed things to work uh, for in three instances for Josh and Mandy a very difficult three-year period in the beginning of their marriage uh, led to a better marriage now when I say that I don't mean necessarily that we see the light or the resurrection, or the completion of that in this life. Ultimately, uh, the, the best example of that is we die and we're in glory. 
it, you go down to be in the, the highest place of up that you've ever been. Uh, God just works. It's counterintuitive. Um, but often we see these patterns in our life here. A very difficult six-month period in D.C., preparing them for what God had for them down the road. Mary, uh, Mandy had a very difficult last year, God shaping her and preparing her for what He had for her. And, and this is just the way God works. Uh, darkness and light. Death, resurrection. And ultimately, think about the resurrection. For Jesus' followers, how hopeless was the day that Jesus was killed. I mean, they had put everything into this guy. They had risked everything. They had left everything. And they had said, this is that we believe you. We believe that you're Lord. We're following you. And then he died. And there they are. And they had cowered at, you know, standing up for him, leading up to his death. They're ashamed. They're by themselves. They're afraid they're going to get killed. They're hiding. Uh, for for Jesus' followers, the most hopeless day was the day that he was killed. And think about the days following, the first day and the second day and the third day. I mean, there was just, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. This was a terrible end to what they thought was a very good story. And, uh, but, and there's always a but. I mean, he rose from the dead. And the most unlikely way that things would turn out, obviously, uh, no one had ever done that before. And he rose from the grave. And, and he not only did he rise from the grave, giving us the hope um, for our salvation, that uh, he's conquered death. He's defeated our sin. He's conquered death. And, uh, but he also has set in motion the way that he just works um, in, in this life. There are hard seasons that prepare us for, for what's ahead. So uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we don't often know what you're up to, but Lord, we do see that you're good. Uh, we see that um, there's great wisdom in the way that you work, even uh, that we don't understand. But uh, Lord, we trust you, and uh, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see uh, and ears to hear this great salvation in Christ and uh, given us and strengthened our faith to follow. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to those that are in difficult times to know that they're in good hands, uh, that you're up to something that is ultimately good. We continue to pray for these families that are grieving these very difficult things, uh, for the Robertsons and the Yance family and the Scholes and the Connells. Uh, Lord, might they find uh, great comfort and hope in the God of the resurrection, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, guys. Very good.